So take your Bibles and join me in 1 Corinthians. Uh, Last week we started our journey through this book. Once again today we'll be in chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Open your Bibles, your electronic device, or there's pew Bibles in front of you. Uh, You can just go to the index if you're not familiar the Bible and see where 1 Corinthians is and join us over there. Now we talked last week about the church in Corinth being a church that's filled with problems. It's filled with issues. Just about anything you can imagine that would be a problem in a church was taking place in Corinth. So as we work our way through this book, we are going to see the Apostle Paul dealing with these various issues. And this morning... He's going to be dealing with the problem in Corinth of a lack of unity that was there. Follow along with me, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 to 17. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. Oh, I did baptize also the household of Stephanus, Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. May God bless the reading of his word to our hearts today. Unity is a theme that runs throughout the Bible. And it is something that is very important to God. And it is important for brothers to dwell together in unity. In Psalm 133, we have the psalmist David writing this song. Keep in matter, keep in mind that the psalms are songs. This is called a psalm of ascent which means that the Israelites would sing this song as they were headed up to the temple to worship. And notice what David says. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. 
For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. The Apostle Paul, when he writes to the believers in Ephesus, in chapter 4 of that book, he says this to them. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now notice Paul's words there. We are to be eager to maintain the unity, which seems to indicate the unity is already there. Do you realize as Christians, we are bound together by certain things. Paul would go on to say to them, there's only one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father over all. So the Spirit of God that lives inside of us produces that unity that we as brothers and sisters in Christ should have with one another. It's there, and it's our work to maintain that unity. In Ephesians 4, in verses 11 to 14, Paul writes to them and says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. To mature manhood. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that we may no longer be children. Tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. By human cunningness. By human cunning. By craftiness in deceitful schemes. We are to be unified with one another. And God gave gifted men to the church to have a ministry, and part of that ministry is to result in the church being unified. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, Peter writes and says, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. God desires for his church to be unified. And the church in Corinth is not unified. See, Satan fears a church that is unified, that is focused on doing what God wants the church to do. You know, it's interesting that if you were to go through the book of Acts, and as you re read through the book of Acts, you look for the words, one accord. Actually, in the Greek, it's a word, homo thumos, of one heat. And what you'll find is, whenever that condition existed in the book of Acts, 
Something dynamic happened. In chapter 1, in verse 14, it says they were together in unity, and together they chose the person to take the place of Judas to be the 12th apostle. In chapter 2, in verse 1, it says that they were together in one accord, and what happens? The day, on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit descends, and multitudes are saved. In chapter 2, in verse 46, it talks about them being in one accord, and then it says that people were getting saved each and every day. In chapter 4, in verse 24, it talks about how they were together in one accord, and they had a prayer meeting together, and it talks about the building they were in was shaken. Now, that's the kind of prayer meeting I'd like to attend, wouldn't you? Think to be there, you're praying together, and the whole building shakes, you know, sort of like an, an earthquake occurs. You know, years ago, one afternoon, Barb and I were, were sitting, and we were talking on the, the, the couch, and I have this bad habit, maybe some of you have it as well, that when I'm sitting, my knee goes up and down, up and down, up and down. And so it, it's something that's a little bit annoying to my wife. It's, not, it's something I'm not even aware I'm doing. But this afternoon, we were in a loving discussion with one another sitting on the couch together. And she said to me, stop moving your leg. You are shaking this whole room. And I thought, that's pretty powerful for my leg going up and down. Later, we learned that there was an earthquake here in Akron <laughs> that happened at that specific time. Well, in this case, when the church was in one accord praying, I don't know whether it was an earthquake that God sent just at that moment or whether it was just that building in the city that was shaking, but God responded to his people being together in one accord. So as Paul writes to the church here in Corinth, I want you to see his appeal in verse 10. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. The appeal, be united. Now, Notice as Paul appeals to them, he first of all appeals to them as brothers. He's kind of sending the message that as brothers together in Christ, these divisions should not be happening there. And Paul begins by addressing them as brothers, and he gives them a gentle exhortation. This isn't just a full-blown uh, rebuke. 
It is more of a gentle exhortation to them with a sense of urgency. He's reminding them that they are brothers in Christ. And as brothers in Christ, this should not be true that the church is broken up and not together in unity. He also appeals to them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in doing so, he's appealing to the authority that Jesus has over his church. Remember, we talked last week. The church doesn't belong to us. The church doesn't belong to the pastor. The church doesn't belong to the elders. It's the church of God. It's the church that belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, so in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in his power, in his authority, I am appealing to you for you to be united. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you. Now, the word that's used for divisions there is a word that means schisms. And actually, it refers to a garment that is ripped and torn into pieces. He says, I'm appealing to you that this shouldn't be the case there. That you have these different divisions in the church. You need to be united. And he says that you need to be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. This idea of being united is used, it's, it's actually used as a medical term. It's used for the setting of a broken bone or for something that is out of joint and being brought back in to its proper alignment. So he's saying to the church, you're not properly aligned there. There are schisms, there are divisions among you, and this should not be. So I appeal to you, brothers, Brothers who should love one another. Brothers who should be united with one another. I appeal to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Be united. Well, next, let's look at the source of the divisions. What is the source of these divisions that are there within the church? Let's pick up with verse 11. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people. Now, Paul is responding to a report that he's heard from Chloe's people. Now, we're not certain exactly who Chloe is. It appears that she's someone, obviously, that's in the church in Corinth. It's believed that she was probably a businesswoman who also had business over in Ephesus, where Paul was spending, had spent three years there as well. And in some way, Paul has come in contact 
with these people from Chloe's business, from her household, that are reporting to him, hey, the church back in Corinth, there are some problems that have developed back there that need to be addressed. He says, for it's been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you. Now, the word for quarrels is stronger than the word for division. Uh, it's something, this term quarrel, refers to something that begins on the inside and then works its way to the outside. It's something coming within the people who are causing the problems in Corinth, the quarrels there, that they are upset on the inside, and now they have let it work out to where it is affecting the people in the church. Friends, that's why it's so important for us as individual believers to make sure we're walking with the Lord, to make sure that we are in proper alignment with Christ, because when we individually and keep in mind, the church is a collective of the individual believers. But when we are individually out of line with God on the inside, it's going to spill out on the others. I don't know how many times I've met with individuals who are dealing with anger issues. And you know, the world tells us that we are to have anger management, find a way to manage our anger. Well, the Word of God says something entirely different. The Word of God tells us to get rid of our anger. And often I find when we're dealing, and almost always I find, when someone has an anger problem that's expressing itself outward and affecting his wife, his children, or people in the church, or in his workplace, it's because of some internal issue that has never been dealt with by that individual. This word quarrel means it's something that's coming from inside, and now it is spilling over to everyone in the church. And unless they deal with that which is on the inside, the things on the outside will never be taken care of. It says, for it's been reported to me that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, and now we're going to see four divisions within the church. I follow Paul. Now, we talked about Paul last week. Paul, the great apostle, the one called by God. So some of the individuals are saying, I'm of Paul. Now, Paul is this deep theological thinker, and so I am going to follow him that apostle, the one who founded the church there. My allegiance is to Paul. Now, let me say something about this right here. As I think almost all of you know, in a, a few years, I'm going to retire and leadership of the church will go to another pastor. 
I hope it is never said in this body of believers. You know, if Pastor Butch were still here, we wouldn't be doing this. Well, Pastor Butch wouldn't have let that go on. Right now, I am currently in the role as the pastor of this church. And I am totally and convinced that we have set everything up for Pastor Bruce to take over when I retire. And you'll have an opportunity to approve of him as the next pastor of this church. He's a godly man. He's different than me. Thank God he's different than me, right? He's going to do things differently. And that's okay. And I've already made it clear to Bruce and to the elders, I will have 100% support of everything, of every direction that Bruce wants to take this church in, as long as he doesn't violate the word of God. That's the, as long as he doesn't violate. And I am totally convinced that will not happen with the elders that we have in place here and with Bruce's heart to serve the Lord. But we never want this church divided up around personalities. Some were saying, I follow Paul. Or others were saying, I follow Apollos. Now, Apollos, from everything we read about him in the scriptures, seems to have been a very gifted orator who was very polished in his teaching and preaching style. And there were those who would say, Oh, Paulus, man, he really knows how to preach the word of God. I follow him. Then there were those who said, I follow Cephas. It's another name for Peter. Peter, who was the leader of the disciples. Peter, who's referred to as the big fisherman. Probably not all that eloquent, probably not all that smooth, but just a down-to-earth fisherman. And people were saying, I like that style. I follow Cephas. And then there were those who were saying, I follow Christ. Now, Commentators look at this and say, well, it can be taken two ways. They were just, that there were, this is referring to the spiritual people in the church, and they were just saying, let's stay focused on uh, Christ. But I don't think that's the case because how Paul is building his argument here to them. I'm thinking there were those that were in the church that were saying, hey, I'm more spiritual than all the rest of you. All the rest of you are caught up in following after personalities. But I just follow Jesus. I just follow Jesus. No one else matters. I just follow him. And if you guys were more like me, then everything would be fine here in the church. So I think we have four different divisions. You know what's interesting? There is no proof whatsoever that any of the four encouraged these divisions. That any of the four had anything to do with these divisions. And I don't believe they had anything to do 
with it. This is going on without their approval, without their consent, and without their knowledge. Because notice how Paul is going to respond to this. Verse 13, is Christ divided? And the answer to that is a resounding what? No, Christ is not divided. Was Paul crucified for you? And the answer to that again is what? A resounding no. Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? When you were baptized, did the person baptize you and say, I baptize you in the name of Paul? The answer to that is what? No. Paul says in verse 14, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. And then he has kind of an afterthought and he says, I did baptize also the household of Stephanas. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. Paul says, I'm just not sure. I can't remember for sure. But I didn't come and baptize, and I don't want people going around saying, I was baptized by Paul. Now, Paul goes on, and then he says this. For Christ did not send me to baptize. Now, some people have seized upon that and have made the case that Paul doesn't think baptism is important. That's not what Paul is saying here. Baptism is very important. Baptism is the public profession of our faith in Christ. It is the first step of obedience that every believer in Christ should take. Paul is not diminishing the importance of baptism here. He is merely saying, I'm glad that I didn't baptize a number of you in this church in Corinth if it is going to be used as a point of division that people are going to say, oh, I'm special because Paul baptized me. You know, twice I've heard of individuals that were just so proud of the fact that they were the first person baptized in a church building. I remember the the church that I grew up in, and there was actually a little bit of battle between some of the individuals when they had the first baptism in that church over who got to go first. Because they wanted to say, I was number one. Nobody got baptized in that church before I did. And I know of an individual who takes great pride that he was the first person baptized in our church here. That's the wrong focus. That is the wrong focus. That's why Paul said, I'm glad I didn't baptize you. If that's where your focus is going to be, the focus needs to be on Christ. Because notice what Paul says. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. The focus here needs to be on the preaching of the gospel. 
And you see what happens when a church is fighting, when a church is divided up, when there are those who are in different parties in the church and there are different schisms. What gets lost in all of that? The focus on the gospel. The focus on the preaching of Christ. And it's my prayer for Maranatha Bible Church that this focus never gets lost. That this church remains true to Christ and not divided until Jesus comes back and appears in the sky and calls us up together with him in the air. That we remain true to preaching the gospel of Christ. And can I tell you, there are churches all over this city, churches all over this state, churches all over this nation, and churches all over the world who have given up on the focus that it should be the gospel that we are proclaiming, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul is saying here, not putting down baptism when he says, God didn't send me to baptize, but God sent me to preach the gospel and to put the emphasis where it needs to be. You know, let's be clear this morning on what the gospel is. Paul makes that clear to them over in chapter 15. If you just want to turn a few pages in your Bibles... And come over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Where he says, verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel. And the word gospel means good news. I would remind you of the good news I preached to you, which you received. You received it in which you stand. And by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preach to you unless you believed in vain. So let's make it clear this morning. The gospel is the crucial issue of whether we are saved or lost. Whether we receive this and hang on to this truth. For I delivered to you as a first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. And we will unpack this more when we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But I think it's important we be clear on the gospel this morning. Christ died, was buried, and rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures. And whether you are saved or lost is determined by whether you receive, whether you accept, whether you believe this gospel. And when the church is divided and fighting, that focus is lost. And so, dear friends, I want to make it very clear to you this morning, to every individual who's attending here this morning, there's only one way whereby you can be saved. 
And that's by putting faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as a church, when we are tempted to have battles with other believers, we need to remember what happens when a church gets sidetracked from the central truth of the gospel. And this is why Paul takes this so seriously when he talks to them about the divisions, the quarreling going on. It's like he just wants to yell, can we please stop it? And take a step back and realize what is at stake here. What is at stake is the clear message of God's word going out. Let's pray. Father, I pray and thank you for the great unity that has been present here at Maranatha Bible Church uh, through the years, Lord, and how we have been able to focus on the proclamation of your word. May that never change, Lord. And Father, I pray just now, if there's anyone here this morning who has not received the gospel, has not believed it, I pray that they might put their faith and trust in you. And Lord, help us as a church that we may stay focused on the right things and help us that we may proclaim the cross of Jesus to a dying world who so needs this gospel. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.